Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning, and I was thinking along the same lines for Keaton as he was ordained that, you know, sometimes young, young men or young women come along and immediately you see just how far they have, you know, to go in their character and in their development. And, and while he has a long way to go, he's, he's doing some really, really good things. And I felt as well in my heart if remember the good things you're doing and, and continue to do those things. Um, some of us need to learn a lot more as we go along, and some of us have forgotten to just continue to do the right things. And so I just pray that on you, that you, would, you and Gabrielle would continue to do the right things, and um, the Lord would protect you and bless you in that. So, so I, I'm excited to share with you on, on Keaton's Ordination Sunday. And I have a message that just came out of a conversation with God. And as most messages do... Um, I hope that this applies to your life. And I was saying to the Lord, you know, Lord, what gets us through problems? What gets us through problems? Have you ever asked the Lord that? <laughs> Wanted to know that? Um, and I felt he said something interesting to me that I, I hadn't focused on in my life enough. And he said to me, my promises do. That my promises get you through times of trouble. My promises get you through problem time. Like my promises, if you can keep your eyes focused on those things I have said, it will help you get through momentary difficulties, circumstances, relationship that's maybe broken, your marriage that is overcoming some hurdles, um, you know, th ways that you see yourself, ways that you see others, just things that you're going through. If you can hear the promises of God, and remember the promises of God, you'll overcome those times of problems. And so I want to talk about that, that we are children of promise. We are children of promise, created to live in a promised land. But sometimes we get stuck in our problems. Sometimes we get our feet stuck in where we were or where we are. Sometimes we, our view, our perspective is on the wrong things and we get stuck. And so I want to talk about your perspective for a moment. Your perspective will shape your vision. Your perspective will shape your vision. Turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read a, a, a story that you might be familiar with. Maybe you've read the story of the rich young ruler before, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this story, but there is something in it I want us to focus on this morning. There's a rich young man, which are all of us. Do you know that? You live in North America. You are this young man. <laughs> And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, even though Jesus is God. Isn't Jesus so humble? Jesus is so humble. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've done all of these things. Like he was checking boxes. Do you do this with God too? You check boxes? 
I went to church, I prayed this morning, I read my Bible, I'm good. You know, we check boxes. And this is what the young man is doing. He's checking boxes with the Lord. I did it, I did it. Okay, I did all that stuff. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't Jesus so good? It says he loved him. That's not necessary for this story, but it's necessary for the way Jesus positioned his heart toward this rich young man. He loved him. And he said, you lack one thing, you know, just one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were astonished at this. Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You know, sometimes we, like the rich young ruler, we actually stop in the story when Jesus says to him, it's impossible. You have to sell everything you have and and, and go to the poor. And the man walked away. The man walked away because he was focused on his possessions. And the man never heard the promise. Most of us do this with this story. We go, oh, I guess wealthy people aren't getting into heaven. That's not what the story is saying. See, the man walked away because Jesus said, you have to give up all of these things. And the man walked away sad. But at the end of the story, what does Jesus say? Nothing is impossible with God. What was impossible for this young man to give up is possible because he is God. None of us can enter the kingdom of heaven. You entering the kingdom of heaven, whether you're rich or poor, is as difficult as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Jesus is not just talking about rich people. He's saying it's always impossible for those to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, all things are possible. The problem is not that the young man had wealth. The problem is that wealth had the young man. So the problem is not that you have wealth or don't have wealth. The problem is, is what influence does your wealth have on you? What is your perspective about your possessions? What is your perspective about your wealth? That's the problem. Everybody wants to argue about, well, well rich, rich have a really hard time getting into heaven because they have so many possessions. It's not about possessions. It's that sometimes we allow our, perspe- our per- possessions to determine our perspective. The man was disheartened and he walked away before he heard the promise, which is nothing is impossible with God. Perspective is a worldview. It's a way of thinking. Um, Perspective is not reality. Perspective is your view on reality. Perspective is a way that you see the world. 
perspective is like um, eyeglasses that you have on. And everything that uh, you see, you see through this particular perspective. And I, I want to talk about two main areas this morning that you might see your life through. That you might see your relationships through. That you might see your job through, that you might see friendships through, that you might generally see the world, that maybe uh, one of these two perspectives is the way you've seen COVID over this last year and a half. How many just don't want to ever hear the word COVID again, right? It's become like normal, like COVID-19, COVID, COVID, COVID. I mean, we haven't talked so much about a virus in all of our lives. It's it's become a perspective, right? A way of seeing the world. Hand sanitizer is basically, we use that more than uh, soap and water. We use it more than shampoo. Hand sanitizer, who would have known? Like, we've, we've put more hand sanitizer on our hands in the last year and a half than has ever been created in the world before this. Um, this has just become normal because this is our new perspective, right? It's a way we're seeing life. And today you, you had a certain perspective coming to church. You wanted to either you know, come and see friends you haven't been in a while, or maybe you wanted to just come and sing those good old songs, you know, or maybe you just wanted to connect with God, maybe you wanted to pray this morning. Maybe you came this morning because you feel distant from God, or maybe you came this morning because you feel close to God. But your perspective determined your expectations. Why you got up in the morning and why you came today will determine what you experience. So I want to talk about two main areas. Are your perspective driven by problems or is your perspective driven by the promises of God? These are two ways that we see life. We can live from problems. Our perspective can be our problems or we can live from the promises of God. You see, David writes in Psalm 23, verse 4, again, a familiar verse for many of you, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice that David says, though I walk through the valley, See, David doesn't say, yeah, though I live in the valley, though I build my house in the valley, though I spend my whole life in the valley, Lord, praise you for the valley, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy some land in the valley, I'm going to build my house in the valley, and here me and my family will live all of our days in the valley of the shadow of death. There's a good deal on the homes there, by the way. <laughs> homes in the valley of the shadow of death are on sale all the time. In fact, the enemy gives them away for free. You can live in a house in the valley of the shadow of death for free. There's no mortgage. Costs you nothing. But David says, though I walk through. In other words, I'm not living there. I'm not staying there. I'm not spending any more time in this valley than I have to. David is focused on the promises of God. The promises. You were meant to have a perspective of blessing and promise. One of the central themes in the Bible is blessing. Blessing, that you are a blessed people. 
It begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where the first commandment in the Bible to Adam and Eve is what? That they would be fruitful and multiply. It says in verse 28, God blessed them. God blessed them. Why did God bless them? Why would he need to bless them? They were subject to him. They were servants to him. They were children of him. Why would he bless them? He blessed them because it's a central theme for his children. God blesses us. He blesses you. But we can't stop there. With Adam and Eve, he blessed them and then he commanded them. He blessed them and then he gave them an area of obedience that they had to walk in. They had to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the first commandment in the Bible is connected to blessing. Fast forward a little bit, Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse two and three. He says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Have you ever tried to curse someone? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to talk about that. That's not the point of the, of the sermon, right? I will bless those who bless you. I will make you into a great nation. I won't get into it, but the situation that Abraham found himself in when God promised him this, right? How many kids did he have? Right. A big old goose egg, right? Zero. Zero children. And then obviously his, the son of promise would be Isaac and many nations would be blessed. And, and what's amazing is, did, do you know that you sit here today as a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham 4,021 years ago? You are here as children of faith. Now, some of us say, well, does this blessing apply to us? That was Old Testament. We're New Testament. That's Old Covenant. This is New Covenant. Well, I, I want to share with you a verse from Galatians that Paul says. He's writing in the New Testament to the church in Galatia to actually address some issues around Judaizers, which were saying that um, some of the Gentiles had to become Jewish through like circumcision and, and dietary laws that the Gentiles had to actually become Jewish before they could become children of faith. So Paul is addressing this issue in the church that is saying, no, outwardly they need to be Jewish. Like all the men need to, you know, this would be really awkward kind of before the service, right? All the men need to come through and be circumcised and then they can kind of come into this because they have to be Jewish and then they become children of faith. And Paul is saying, no, no, this is what he's addressing in this context. He says, it is those of faith, those that believe in Jesus, those that believe in the cross, that are actually sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, what? By faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. 
So then those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How many people here have faith in Jesus Christ? So all of you are the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Obviously, Abraham struggled through perspective. Obviously, you know, they laughed at God when God said, you're going to be this, this nation, right? But Abraham had to shift his perspective based on what God said, based on the promises of God. And he had to kind of zoom out with God and continue to live faithfully. We have to focus on the promises of God and not our problems. The last story from the Old Testament I want to leave you with is found in Joshua 21. Because this again is the promise of God. God promised land to the people of Israel. And it says the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God is a God of promise. It says that the Lord gave them all the land what he swore, he promised to give them. They took possession of it. It says that the Lord gave them rest, just as he what? Promised, he swore to give them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. And then I love this verse, not one word, not one breath, not one promise of God that he spoke over their lives failed to come to pass. Do you know that over your life there is not one promise of God, not one breath, there's nothing that he has said over your life, nothing that he has written down over your life, there's absolutely nothing that he has said that is gonna fail to come to pass, nothing. Nothing. We get so focused on our problem, forgetting that God has spoken promises over our life. If you don't hear God speak, that's a problem. That's a real problem. If you don't know what God has said, and maybe you're sitting there today and you go, I, I don't know the promises of God over my life. I don't know what he's said. I, I don't have anything. That's fine, but, but you got to get there in your relationship with God. Because he has spoken things, written things, declared things. And I'll tell you like this, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, the enemy can do to you. Other people can do to you to rob you from what God has said over your life. Nothing. Oh, my problems are just too bad. You know, my dad was an alcoholic and his dad was an alcoholic and his dad was an so I'm an alcoholic and I'll never overcome that. No, nonsense. God has spoken breakthrough and promise and freedom over your life. There's so many things in our life that we think are the end. Look at the Israelites. 
Two years in, they came to the promised land. And what happened? They sent spies in. And the spies came back and they said, it's just, it's just too much. It's just too much. There's giants in the land. Big delicious fruit. Yeah, we enjoyed that. But the giants. And Joshua and Caleb, what did they do? They said, no, let's go. Let's go because we believe in the promises of God. If this is God's promised land, we're going to get it. But what happened? They didn't listen. So they wandered for 38 more years. Did they have to? No. They didn't have to. They just failed to recognize the promise of God. Will you have problems? Yes. Will there be giants in the land? Yes. Will there be battles that you will face? Yes. We cannot live in denial. There will be problems, but God's promises are bigger than your problems. He has a promised land for you to live in. He has things that he's said over your life that he wants you to hear and understand. There's something just so beautiful about land. There's something so beautiful about planting a garden. I wasn't into gardening before I met my wife, but she got me into gardening. She might be sitting at home right now going, yeah, you're not really into gardening. You just like eating from the garden. <laughs> but I'm into it. I'm into it. I know I like it. And, um, you know, this past, past year and a half, we, we, we had something happen in our life that I want to share with you. And this is personal. Um, but it was about, about a year ago, um, Sonia had, was experiencing some pain in her body. And uh, it was getting to the point where it was quite concerning. And um, so she called the doctor's office and she said to them, I'm experiencing pain and I need to get some testing done. And they said, I'm, oh, we're glad you called. We were trying to get in touch with you nine months ago for some follow-up testing that was required for you. We called the number on file, which was this number, but we couldn't get through. Well, we had moved. And who uses landlines anymore? So we didn't use that phone number anymore. We only use our cell phone, which is a secondary number on our medical profile, at least you would think. Well, for some reason, they didn't call the second number. Now, I'll leave that aside. And Sonia said, well, I need to get in. And they said, no, you really need to come see us. In fact, you're going to need a biopsy. We can't get you in for the biopsy for two months. It's a good thing my family from New York doesn't live here. <sighs> She'd have had that biopsy the next day. However, in this moment, pain in her body, lumps that we think are cancerous already, a doctor's office telling you you're basically nine months ago you should have had this checked out. Can you imagine what can happen in a body in nine months with cancer? 
She hung up the phone. We cried. We wept. We hugged. Our minds went down that road as so many of you have been in this situation. That home in the valley of the shadow of death is just appears and you move in, right? Fearful, anxious, looking at our five kids. This could be it, right? Then you know what we did? I think this was prophetic for sure. Holy Spirit led absolutely. Sonia looked at me and she said, let's go to the greenhouse and plant seeds. Let's go to the greenhouse and plant seeds. That's what we did. We got up and we went to the greenhouse and we started planting seeds. And we looked at each other and we said, we're gonna see these together. Sonia went through all the follow-up testing two months later. You know how long that two months was? Do you tell the kids? Don't you tell the kids? What do you say? What don't you say? All the stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Everything ended up coming back clean. She was okay. We didn't have to walk through that journey. I know so many of you have. I can't imagine. What you've gone through and I know this won't quite relate to you, but for us, the Lord said, yeah, this is, this is gonna be a good ending. And I'll just say to you, this isn't, this isn't something really awesome to pull out of the garden. It's an onion. I know. Not the most beautiful. It's just an onion. But this is a seed from that day. And uh, it's a seed of promise. And you know, I found that in our life, and I, I recognize this doesn't always apply. I'm very aware of that. And I stand with those that you didn't see the fruit, the harvest of what you, you thought in prayer. But God still has promises over our life, regardless of the situation. Promises that he wants to speak over our life and declare over our life. He has a promised land for you to live in.